Welcome Crosswalk to Christmas List. That's what we're talking about this week. We're talking about how God has a Christmas list for us. And I thought I'd start with a story, which is not something that I normally do. But this is a story about a kite. A man once observed a young boy out in a field flying a kite. He noticed that there was something odd about the way the boy was standing and holding on to the string. So he walked up to the boy and then he learned that the boy was blind. He said, so do you like flying kites? The boy said, I sure do, mister. This piqued the man's curiosity and he asked, how is it that you like flying kites when you can't see? The boy answered, I may not be able to see, but I can feel it tugging. We may not always be able to identify the love of God in this world, but like the little boy, even though we can't see it, we can feel it tug on us. And that's how we know it's there. This leads us in to the next item that God has for us on his, wishes, on his Christmas wish list. And it's simply this, it's love your neighbor. Now you know that, right? That's part of the greatest commandment. Of course you know this, but the truth is we were not very good at it. And we haven't historically been very good at it. In fact, this goes way back to the Old Testament because you know, the story of Jesus encapsulates and clarifies a lot of what God was trying to do all along the way in our whole history. So way back in Genesis 12, it says this, I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. What does it mean to be a blessing to others, to be a blessing to your neighbors? Well, for, for the Jews, for the nation of Israel, it was that they were supposed to show everyone who God was. And neighbors can be a blessing and neighbors can be, you know, a curse. I guess we could say that too. I've got a neighbor who's both things. So my, my next door neighbor, I've told you about him before, he's got this amazing garden and, he, and, and it's really wonderful. It also means he likes to plant a lot of things. I've got to tell you, he is an incredible blessing when he comes over and brings us vegetables and fruit. Man, what a blessing. However, when he plants cactus everywhere that somehow grows and gets bigger and ends up in our yard, yeah, not so much a blessing. Being a neighbor can be a little bit of both things. But that call to love your neighbor isn't new, it isn't novel, nor is it unclear. It's been around since the beginning that we are to be a blessing. We are to love our neighbors. Jesus said it in a way that made more sense to us because, you know, the, the, the call was be a blessing to your neighbors. That's all it was. And maybe that wasn't clear enough for humanity. Maybe it wasn't clear enough for us. So Jesus said it this way, Matthew 22, 39. A sec the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we've got this love your neighbor part. We, we knew that, but he, he opened it up. He, he mentioned it in a different way. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And maybe he knew that we have this like kind of narcissistic tendency, right? And so the idea that we don't know how to love our neighbor, he said, listen, I can tell you how to do it. Simply love them as yourself. So let's ask you this question today. How do you want to be loved? Because this is going to clarify how you should love your neighbor. This is maybe one of the few times our narcissism will actually come in handy. So let me tell you how I want to be loved. I'll do this exercise for you. And it'll sound really selfish through this process, but I want you to do it at the same time. 
So take your phone or whatever it is that you have to write down. I want you to write down how you want to be loved by your neighbors. So I've got three things because I'm a pastor and we always do three things. So here it is. The first one is I want to be given a break, just a little grace maybe because I make mistakes. I don't want them to be pointed out to me every single time I make a mistake. I want a little grace to make that mistake. I want you to give me the benefit of the doubt. I want my neighbors to give me the benefit of the doubt. You know, when I leave my trash cans out, and I'm speaking specifically of my neighbors, when I leave my trash cans out, I don't want them to think that I want to, you know, destroy the neighborhood because I'm leaving my trash cans out. Maybe I just forgot. Maybe my my teenage boys didn't bring them back in when they were supposed to. But I want to be thought of with the best intentions. I want to be given a break. I love what it says in Hebrews 4.16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. So of course that break, right, that comes from the grace of God and it comes most readily from God. But what if we actually gave it to each other? Rather than assuming bad intentions of one another, perhaps we could give the gift of grace to one another. I want to be given a break. The second thing is, I want kind words. My heart and soul hurts from the rhetoric of this year. The anger, the vitriol, the hatred is wearing me down. Truth is, a lot of it hasn't been focused on me, but it's been focused on one another. It's been focused on ideologies. It's been focused, like we have not giving each other a great deal of common courtesy in our conversation. The verbal abuse from so many made me retreat. I want kind words. I want us to treat one another with respect. Proverbs 16, 24 says this, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. And listen, I could have picked from hundreds of texts that say the same thing. Be kind with your words. The third way I want to be loved is that I want encouragement. I want people to tell me I'm doing a good job in a difficult time. To increase their willingness to see the intention behind the action as good rather than bad. How are you reaching out and encouraging today? In fact, this is one of the reasons why church exists. And I know you're like, hey, we're not going to church. It doesn't mean that we don't still exist for that same reason. To be a a bit of encouragement, Romans 1.12 says it this way. When we get together, I want to encourage you in faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Paul makes the argument that mutual encouragement is one of the reasons that we come together as a faith community, that we come together as people of God. That's what I want from my neighbors is I want encouragement Now, all of this may sound like I'm just like begging for some attention and begging some help. I do this exercise so that you can go through the process. So as you clarify what it is that you want, you can begin to give it. Because should we assume that we can receive that which we won't give? Why should we expect to get these things if we won't give these things to others? How are you supposed to love your neighbor? which is on his Christmas list for us this year. How are we supposed to love our neighbor? Well, for me, it starts, it starts by giving people a break. It starts by using kind words. 
And it starts by giving encouragement. I don't know what your list is. Yours might be a little bit different. But once you've written that list, the question you have to ask yourself, is that what you've been giving to your neighbors? Because if it's not, I don't know that you should assume that you should receive it or you will receive it. See, there's this thing called provenience, which, you know, a dictionary, dictionary definition is simply going before, proceeding, anticipating, expectantly. But provenience is a major part of the story of Jesus, but even more, it's a major part of the story of God all the way through the covenants. You see, God came down. That's a word we hear in Scripture again and again. God came down. He, he leaned down towards us. In fact, it's probably said best in Philippians 2, that, that famous text that you know about that sounds like this. It says you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Now, that means he had it proveniently. He had it before we had it. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think, it, think of equality with God as something to cling to. And by the way, he had a great deal more to lose than we do in order that we might know what love is. Philippians 2, 7, it says, Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, this is a Christmas text. We don't quote this at Christmas all that often because it's not in that narrative. But in Philippians, he's talking about a Christmas text. He's talking about the incarnation. Was born as a human being when he appeared in human form, right? So this is a Christmas text. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. This was done with no prompting from us. It was given as provenient grace. In the Old Testament, God came down to create a covenant with Abraham. God came down to create a covenant with Moses. God came down to create a covenant with David. God moving first, the provenience of grace. The fact that you know you need grace is the grace of God given to you before you knew you needed that sort of grace. Proveniency is really important in Scripture, and it's incredibly important to the story of Jesus, so it should probably be, probably be just as important for you and for me as followers of Christ. You've heard me mention this term, the provenient grace, a lot, because it's one of those things that separates Christianity from all the other religions. The provenience of grace is the incarnation of loving your neighbor. And listen, Sometimes grace is as simple as mowing a lawn. The first house that we had, it was a duplex. We lived in a duplex. So in, in, this was in Michigan. My wife and I had just gotten married. And, you know, it means that there was an apartment and then a garage and then a garage and then an apartment. And we each were responsible for our ends of the property. And we had some guy that lived on the other side that I think we saw once or twice in the year and a half year that we lived there. Um, I think he worked nights or something. I'm going to assume who knows what he was doing. I don't even know who this guy was, but he would mow his lawn. Now we were just married. We moved across the country. We did not own a lawnmower and we were from California. I was from California, my wife from Oregon, but I was from California. I had no idea that grass could grow the way it does in the spring and the summer in Michigan. I mean, it's overwhelming. So when we first moved there, we got there right as winter was beginning, right as in the fall. And so it was getting cold. Things weren't growing that much. We went through winter and then the spring happened and our grass began to grow like crazy. Now, our neighbor, 
our condo mate, I don't know what you call that, he had a lawnmower and he would use it. And every week he would mow his lawn and he would go right to the center of the property and I'm pretty sure he had measured it and he would stop. So he would, you know, you had this beautifully manicured grass and then you had ours, which was not beautifully manicured. Now he never ever in the whole time we were there went over to our side, not one inch, not one centimeter. He always went right to his end and then he stopped. Now I knew after a while I was going to have to buy a lawnmower, which I didn't want to do because we weren't actually, I mean, that's not our home. We weren't going to stay there. I didn't want to buy something. We didn't have any money. I was getting paid so little to go to school, but at least I was getting paid to go to school. That was nice. But we just didn't have any money. We didn't, I didn't want to do it. I wasn't sure what to do. And one day I come home and our grass was cut all the way. By the way, not just our grass my neighbor's grass as well. The whole thing was cut. I couldn't believe my neighbor would do this. So I walked in and I'm like, hey, who mowed our grass? My wife's like, I don't know, but it's mowed. I was like, you think our neighbor did it? And she was like, I don't think our neighbor did it. I was like, yeah, me neither. We weren't going to see him for another few months, so I probably wasn't going to say anything to him. So I, I go to school the next day and uh, I sit down and this buddy of mine goes, hey man, you like your grass? I was like, yeah, what do you know about my grass? And he's like, I mowed it for you. I'm like, how did you mow it for me? And he said, oh, my job here at Andrews University is to mow the grass. And I was driving down your street because you live right in front of the airport there, the little training airport that they had. Um, and as I was driving by, I, uh, I saw your little scooter because I have a little scooter that I drove. I hadn't been there, I'd taken the car. He's like, I saw your little scooter and I realized that was your house and it needed some lawn mowing. I was like, yeah, it needed a lot of lawn mowing. And he said, so I just did the whole thing. Was that okay? It took me like three minutes because he was driving a big tractor. That grace, that provenience, I didn't ask him to do that. That was a big deal. In the grand scheme of things, you think that's not a big deal. No, but I'm talking about it 25 years later. I'm talking about it 25 years later because it's not great things that we do that make good neighbors. It's not the huge things that we do that show that we're loving our neighbor. Sometimes it's the smaller things that we do, the little things that show a little bit of grace to the people that we may agree with, may not agree with, but the people that we live with, whoever we define as our neighbor, and we can go into a whole nother discussion of that with the story of the Good Samaritan, I'm not gonna do that. All I'm gonna say is this, sometimes grace is mowing a lawn. But the Holy Spirit, if you remember the kite story, is always tugging us towards grace. You might not be able to see it, but someone who is searching, you, me, whoever is searching for the heart of God is being pulled towards grace. And everything else in the world is pulling you away from it. It's just simple, right? Anger, frustration, vitriol, fear. That's a big one this year, right? Fear. That's probably the biggest one. And it's hard to love. It's hard to be a neighbor when you have fear. It is hard to love when you feel fear. This is why you love first, because action sometimes creates attitude. So this is why you love first. This is why you don't wait for fear to subside. You love through the fear. You don't wait for things, because we know what overcomes fear, right? Scripture tells us that there's only one thing that actually overcomes fear. And you know this well, 1 John 4, 18 
Such love has no fear because perfect love expels, it casts out, it gets rid of all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment. It's for fear of things not going our way. It's for fear of us not winning. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love yet. There's only one place to get that perfect love, and that is from Christ, from God. And therefore, the first part of love your neighbor commandment is that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, Mark 12, 30. This is where we begin to experience perfect love, proveniently, by the way, that came first. And that provenient love that God shows us is then passed on to our neighbors who can experience a more perfect love from us. A love that has cast out all fear. Right? Mark 12, 31. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. These things go together like peanut butter and jelly, right? Like big franks and beans. I don't know if that's a thing. I have no idea, actually. But if you love God, this leads to loving others. So I'm going to ask a hard question. Could it be that if you don't love others, you might not have experienced God's love yet? That's a tough one, right? To say a one-to-one like that, that's not really fair. And I hesitate to even ask it. I would never want to diminish your experience of God's love, but there is fruit that has grown from the love that we have experienced from God. And if we don't give that love, is it because there's a lack of love on God's part? Or is it because there's a lack of understanding of God's love on our part? If God has on his Christmas wish for us this year, for his Christmas list, that we should love our neighbor, the reason he can demand that of us is because he has already loved us perfectly. Therefore, fear should be cast out. Therefore, we should be a blessing to the world, as it says in the Old Testament. Therefore, we should feel the tugging on our heart with the Holy Spirit who is leading us to greater love, leading us to greater peace, leading us, leading us to greater understanding of one another. When we are commanded to love our neighbors, it means that we are be, to be a blessing to them. And if you're not sure how you should love your neighbor, go back to that list and think about the kind of love that you'd like to receive. And then ask if you deserve that kind of love. Because I know what's going to happen. You're going to read it and you're going to be like, yeah, yeah, this is how I want to be loved. But I don't want to give it to that person because that person doesn't deserve it. I don't like the way they think. I don't like the way they speak. I don't like the way, yep, got it. Get it. I understand it. The only problem is if God does that to us, and decides to go down a list of why we don't deserve his love, his list could get pretty long. He's chosen not to. So what are we choosing to do? Because I'm pretty sure I could come up with a long list of reasons not to love people. And I guarantee you, you could come up with a long list of reasons not to love me. I'm not that lovable. But God chose not to do that for us, which by the way, is the provenience of grace. His unwillingness to look at why we don't deserve love. 
He decided not to do that. Maybe we should decide not to do that. Could you imagine? I mean, really, could you imagine what the world would be like if, if we all decided to just in, in the five houses around us, we decided to love unconditionally? Like every single one of us. What if we did that? Let's say there's something like, you know, four to 5,000 people that watch this every single week. What if four or 5,000 people decided that the five houses around their house were gonna experience great love like they never experienced before? Do you think that would change? Because all of a sudden we're talking about a sizable amount of people, 20, 25,000 people who all of a sudden, not even family, not even people, families, house groups, all of a sudden those people and then what if that provenient grace that they began to understand and they began to experience through you, what if they began to give that to other people? Think about the exponential growth of love that can happen with just one choice to love proveniently, not waiting for your neighbor to put his trash cans back, but to put them back for him or her. What if that was it? Eh, it's probably not that simple. It's probably not. The, the problems of the world are much too complex to, 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 to fix with kindness. They're probably much too complex to fix with love. They're probably way, way harder to understand than, you know, if we just cared for one another. Yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe there's very little hope. You ever wonder if God had that conversation with himself? Maybe it's not worth coming down. Maybe it's not worth becoming one of them. They're pretty ungrateful. They can't seem to keep a promise. All these covenants we've made with them, they keep breaking. They're not great to each other. They keep doing horrific things. They don't agree on everything. They're not unified. In the midst of that conversation, if God had it, and that's conjecture, Jesus said, yeah, but I still love him. I'm still in love with them enough to help them. I'm still in love with them enough that they should be able to experience my perfect love. If he hadn't done that, then today might be hopeless. Then this year with everything that it's held might be, might be just a, a, a horrible experience that we all went through, but that's not what Jesus did. Jesus decided he would come down. And because he decided he would do that, because he was willing to do that, why should we be held to anything less if we say we're followers of Christ? And I get it, there's moments where things become abusive and you need to cut off relationships. I get that, I understand that. Be thoughtful about that. But at the same time, how do you love more? How do you love and increase the love that Jesus Christ has given you? Day after day, year after year, moment after moment. See, I think God puts this on his Christmas list for us because he knows that's how things get better. It may not be from his coming from the sky. It may be from his coming from us. And if we're willing to do that, my, how the world could change. 
It's funny, God's Christmas list for us is not for him. It's because it always benefits us. So maybe we need to take those words of scripture very seriously. Love your neighbor as yourself. Clarify how it is we want to be loved and then be willing to give that love into the world. Let's bow our heads. God of mercy, God of grace. God of prevenient love. Lord, may we learn how to love first. We'll never get ahead of you, but in following your example, may we learn how to love first, how to love more, how to love those who don't seem worthy of our love as we were not worthy of your love. Lord, as we reflect on one of the most powerful Christmas texts, a text that says you were not willing to stay up in heaven, Philippians 2, but thought it wise that you would come down and become one of us. May we remember what it means to be loved first and may we give that love as well. In your name I pray, amen.